0: Here's what I'll do, I'll keep your number safe Cause I hope one day you'll get the sense to call me I'm hoping that you'll say you're missing me the way I'm missing you So I'll keep your number safe Cause I
1: hope one day i will get the pride to call you To tell you that no one
0: else is gonna hold you down the way that I do I hope you think we share i hope you finally realize i was the only one who cared it's crazy how this love thing unfair.
1: good morning journey would you guys please stand and join us in worship
2: this morning
3: doing our fast as of last week um, and we are just so in this place of time where we can go into prayer and we can go into fasting with the Lord and just put our, our, um, our agendas aside and asking God to guide us and to glorify himself in our lives and I think one of the things that for me has been such a vital point in my life as of lately has been just releasing control, releasing what I think and what I feel to to acknowledge and to accept what God is putting in my life. And so I just want to go into prayer today as we continue this fast and as we continue being here today, that our prayers and our, our worship will go up to God. And as we raise up our hands so that we can say, God, we are in surrender. We are in uh, complete humility unto your presence. And so, as we go into this prayer, I just want you guys to really consider that. So, Father, we just come into your presence thanking you for all that you're continuing to do, for the changes that are being started here in this new year, God. As we come and fast before you, as we we, uh, pray and as we read your word, Father, that those words in the the Bible just pop up and, and, and just be highlighted in our lives, God. That we can go in the directions and the guidance that you give to us as we go through this year, Lord Jesus. And we just pray, Father, that this morning will be a morning... They're just filled with your presence, filled with your word, filled, Father, for the things that we are desiring in our souls, in our hearts, God. And that is more of you. Thank you, Father, as we continue this service, Lord. Show yourself, manifest yourself in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh.
1: I'm not going to be afraid, cause these waves are only ways, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to fear the soul, you are greater now.
0: and the musicians in front of the armies back in the day, right? I mean, if that didn't uh, wake you up this morning, I don't know what won't, right? Amen. Well, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Dave, and it's my uh, honor to uh, just share a thought, a challenge, uh, an encouragement for uh, our tithing and our giving this morning. And as we've almost completed week one of our fast, hopefully you're engaging that with us corporately giving falls right in line with fast and our tithing it's the same principle a discipline a setting aside of the first best or the first worst distraction when it comes to distractions rather you know whether that's social media or or a hurried schedule and by the way spoiler alert you guys are in for a great message this morning i ain't gonna lie i hope i hope you're ready you already did the good part, which is getting here, so uh, buckle up. I don't want to steal uh, the other, uh, Dave's uh, thunder, but man, it's, uh, it's on point. It's on point. And in our giving, just in our fasting, we separate ourselves. We separate the best to give back, to say thank you, to acknowledge, to recognize God's blessing, his provision, who gave so much for us through Jesus. You know, in Journey, there's many ways to give, uh, and whether you're online, maybe you're sick, you're not feeling well, we're praying for you to get better, to be here corporately. You can still give. Multiple ways, three ways to to give. Electronically, in person, online, all the above. And as God has created you individually, there's different ways for you to give. Privately. Maybe it's blessing uh, someone else by uh, buying a cup of coffee for them, just leaving a little extra at the at the uh, at the coffee, the motif, the goatee, the kofe fe. What is it, Chase? That too. Maybe it's buying them gas when you're filling your tank up. Maybe you throw uh, a twenty towards the one next to you, or buying a meal for somebody, or maybe giving a little over and above, a little extra to send that at-risk teen to camp. So they have the encounter with Jesus for the first time. Or sending somebody halfway around the world to to speak to a people who's never heard Jesus, or his name. So this morning, I just wanna challenge you and encourage you. If you're a first time visitor, guest, you're new to Journey Family, welcome to the family. You're not a guest or a visitor anymore. Come back next week, it'll be even better. But challenge yourself in this moment. Just as you have set aside those distractions in your fast, set this aside right now this morning as you would, as you would measure your heart to give as you're directed to give, not compulsory, not as a religious act, not as a gotta do. God doesn't work that way. This is a wanna do thing. Just like our fast, it's a wanna do. You gotta want to, you gotta wanna reconnect, retune in to him that's been speaking to you, that's gonna speak to you this morning. Maybe it's not me, maybe it's not through the worship, maybe it'll be through the word that Pastor Dave brings and like I said, buckle up, it is a good word. So as the ushers come and I pray, pause in this moment and say thank you. As you give back to him who first gave so much for us, Father, thank you for inviting us into this journey, into this fast, into this time of giving. Father, we say thank you for blessing us with the means to give. That you never raise our standard of of living through our blessings, but you try to raise our standard of giving through that blessing so that we can bless others. I pray, Lord, that today that you fill these to overflowing, our hearts, and that the natural outpouring of that is our recognition, our tithing, our offering back to you to say thank you for you who gave so much to us. We pray this prayer in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come and come tell us what's going on this week. Thank you, Dave. Welcome, everyone. How you
4: guys all doing? How's the fast going? We're one week into it, right? Ooh. One week into it. So are you guys hungry? That's a bad joke because actually what I'm going to follow it up with is, are you hungry to hear the word of God? That's what I'm saying, <laughs> right?
2: right? There you
4: go. Okay. Hey, uh, J-Kids, you don't have to hear any more bad jokes. Fifth and sixth graders, you're out of here. Go have the real fun.
2: This next event is near and dear to my heart, Night to Shine. It's an unforgettable prom experience honoring our special needs communities. It's gonna be held on Friday, February 7th, 5.30 to 9.30 p.m. at the Lancaster First Assembly on 20th Street West. So many of you volunteered last year, and you guys probably can attest that it was a really magical evening, was it not? Yeah, we had a great time. Tom and I actually ran the karaoke station, and uh, we had our honor guests select their favorite songs, and you know, some of them had better dance moves than I did, I'll tell you that. It really made a huge positive impact on our lives. And this year, I get to be a buddy escort, so I'm really excited about that. So I've got some good news. We have two makeup training sessions. So one is tonight at 4.30. And the next one is February 3rd at 6.30. So I highly encourage you guys to go ahead and get signed up for that.
4: Yeah, and I'm going to pile on to that. It really was a great event. For the, those of you guys that are thinking about it, uh, I could tell you I was a little apprehensive to do it, and then when I got there, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever done. That actually, when I left I think we talked about it for like weeks afterwards. It's one of the single most uh, moving things that I've ever been through. So if you it, could do it, and I, I want to add should. one
2: more thing to that, Tom. So um, if you cannot volunteer the night of the prom, there is going to be a craft night. So this is going to be held Thursday at 6.30 and at the Champion Center of the Lancaster First Assembly. Good, good. Hope to see you there. That's a good ad, right?
4: Okay, and you know what? If uh, you happen to not be able to do that, but you are available on February 7th, we are going to have an event here uh, from 7 to 10. It's uh, actually kind of a twofold thing. It's a parents' night out, and it's also the J-Kids Valentine's Party. Uh, We'd like to see you guys there if you're interested. The J-Kids Party is $15... uh, piece for two kids if you have more than that then there's a discount it's confusing talk to the hot spot <laughs> they'll be able to clear it up for you uh and also for those of you that are uh, actually volunteering at the night to shine if you need uh kid, your kids to be looked after uh talk to sarah at the hot spot and they'll, they'll like i think i believe they'll do that here as well that night so
2: And on Wednesday, January 22nd, Journey's gonna be serving a hot meal at the Grace Resource Center. So if you're looking for a way to give back to the community, um, go ahead and sign up. Um, This is an incredible team to serve a hot meal to those in need. So um, anyways, Tom, I'm gonna be bringing uh, dinner rolls that night.
4: Well, I'm in. (laughs) Hey, uh, so, and then the last thing I believe, the last big thing we have to do is uh, every, uh, you know, Can't even talk today. We are doing the fast. We started that. We're a week into it. Uh, Every Wednesday night for this month, we're having people get together here at the church. We're praying together as a group, and uh, we're praying for the community, praying for the nation, praying for each other. Uh, It's a great event. I was here last uh, Wednesday. I definitely recommend you guys showing up. Again, it's Wednesday at 630. Be here. It's a great event.
2: If you're a new guest at Journey, welcome. We're honored to have you here with us. And we have a gift for you at the hotspot.
4: Yep, and guess what? This is a good time. You guys get to get up, meet your neighbor, say hello, welcome those who are new. Thank you all.
2: Thank you.
5: Guys, grab a seat. We're going to get rolling here. Got a little bit of information to cover before we let you go. I love that you're chatty and want to hang out with folks. And believe me, um, they probably would love to have an invitation to lunch. So if you didn't get to finish your introductions, take somebody to lunch today. I'm Dave, and I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about the season we're in. I'm excited about, the, believe it or not, the fast. And some of you may not know what this is. Basically, a journey at the first of the year, each year. We start by kind of refocusing ourselves and to get our spiritual lives kind of kick-started. Life has a way of just kind of grinding us into a kind of a routine that doesn't always give us the space or the intentionality, I should say, isn't always there to put our spiritual lives into focus and to really grow. I feel like we're really connecting with God in a, in a powerful way. So what we do is we start with um, first week, I mean, uh, three weeks of uh, kind of the year, we kind of... Take your time for prayer and fasting. Now, the fasting is like going without food, and for those of you who have health concerns or a physical demanding job or whatever, and and going without food is really a challenge, then we invite you just to go without something else that's typically part of your routine so that you can say no to those things and then really spend that time really kind of zeroing in on your spiritual life, reading books and getting in scriptures and just spending time in prayer and reflection. So maybe social media. Maybe it's just going on a complete electronic fast for you. Maybe it's, you know, just kicking Netflix off of your to-dos at the evening, you know, in the evening or whatever it is, <clears throat> dropping something that's really part of your routine so that you can really kind of just drive that, that whole concept home of, God, I want to be with you, and I want this year to be all about you. So I'm going to separate myself for this time from food or whatever, and I'm just going to really pray about some of the things that are pressing in my life and in my church and in our community and our world. So that's what we're doing. <clears throat> if you want more information, go on our website. You can listen to last week's message to get more detail. That's avjourney.com. But it's a series we're kicking up last week about living our best life. Because for some of you, I mean, if you're, if you're my age, we've, we've been at this a while. We've been walking in the faith, and we've been following Jesus for long enough where, um, for the most part, we're, we're not out blowing up our lives on some major sin issue. All right? So... But, the, but then again, we're not always living our best life. Some of you, in fact, are, are living something far less. You may be as religious and spiritual and like informed as anybody else in this church as far as scripture and what it means to, you know, to know the Bible. But that doesn't mean you're living the way Jesus invited you to live, the life to the fullest. <clears throat> so we're talking about our best life because we really want us, we want to experience life here and now the way Jesus intended So we're going on that journey and one of the things you're going to have to contend with if you're really going to live your best life is the topic we're on today. And let me just say it this way, if you ask my mom, she would tell you that from the very beginning of my life, I've been in a hurry. (laughs) I've been in a hurry and and she she said, she and my dad used to talk about when we were little, we were in Santa Barbara and I was probably two years old and the family would go on a walk. My brothers would be right next to my parents and they'd just kind of like staying right in the little zone. <clears throat> I would literally be a block or two ahead on my little tricycle just going as fast as my little legs could take me. And it's been that way ever since. I don't know why, but I just came out in a hurry. I want to experience everything. I want to be there. I want to do it. I, I, just, I just expect a lot from life and the tendency is for me to be in such a hurry that oftentimes it's kind of like being on the bullet train. I mean, you're going so fast, you don't actually experience the life that's right around you. You just are zooming through. It's like you're on your way to get somewhere, because when you get there, it's going to be great, except that then you realize you got to be somewhere else. Have have you ever done that? It's like, I can't wait to get there, and you get there, and it's like, well, now I got to move on to the next thing. That's the story of my life. So we Kind of, you know, jump forward from my childhood to more recently, and I've been really working to get this under control because I know it has a tendency to rob me of the opportunity to live the full life Jesus invited me into. So over the holiday, we decided as a family we're going to go to Disneyland. And it's one of our favorite places. We love it. I mean, I wake up at the crack of dawn, and I've got the Disney, you know, music going in the house. It wakes everybody up, and we're all charged up like, yeah, you know, it's it's just so much fun. And we get in the car, and I'm just determined, you know, because I know myself. I'm the one that's always like, get up. Come on, guys. We got to— And because we were told by friends, if you don't get there at opening, because it's the holidays— um, by 10 o'clock, the park will have reached capacity and they'll close it. You, you can't get in or, you, you, you know, you, you won't be able to, to enjoy it. So basically we're like, okay, we're going to be there at opening and my daughter's going to come from Costa Mesa. She's going to meet us. It's only like 25, 30 minutes from there. So I'm like, we'll just, it'll be great. So we all pack up. We head out. And sure enough, man, we get there because, you know, because dad is typically on time. So we get there at opening. But when we get to the parking structure, it's, it's massive, Right. And we get to the down at the bottom of the escalator and I'm like, okay, I'm on the phone with Micah. So where are you? She goes, I'm, I don't know. I'm in this parking thing and it's like, it doesn't look like anything. I really, remember. And I guess they have offsite parking now. So she, her MapQuest took her to the wrong one. And so she was at the other parking. I'm like, oh man, that's terrible. So we'll send everybody else to the gate and I'll wait here at this, you know, come to this one and I'll wait here for you. So as she's coming, literally five minutes turns into 10 to 15 to 20 and everybody's like where is she i'm like i don't know but i know for sure one thing i'm not going to do is ruin this day by making a big deal of her being making us late so i'm like (laughs) waiting and sure enough man she comes i see her i take a picture of her coming down the escalator give a big hug oh hon this is so good i'm so glad you made it she's feeling terrible i'm so sorry i'm like that's okay if you would have just left a little earlier i couldn't even help myself (laughs) I mean, like the whole time, I'm not going to say anything, and I blew it. I just like, if you would have just left the Lord Dad, you know, I'm like, so for the next two hours, I'm trying to make up for the fact that I made her feel worse, and it's how you enjoy in your morning when, you know. Anyway, this whole thing about always being in a hurry, and it's like, I want to live my life. I don't want to wait to live, because I find that so many of us, we're waiting to live, we literally go into this experience where it's like, man, if I could just get out of high school, then I could, you know, then I'll be on my own. I can make my own rules, have my own life. And, or then when I'm in college, when I get done with college, I'll start my career. We're waiting for the next thing. <clears throat> when I get, when I meet that special somebody, and when I get married, and oh, when we have kids, when we reach this income point, when we have the, our own house. or You just keep adding on when I get to, when I get to. And if you notice, the finish line keeps moving. And every season, we're not living it. We're waiting to live. We're waiting for the next thing, for the next season, for the next whatever. And I've learned that in my life, if I don't intentionally stop myself, I will wish away the moment I'm in, waiting for the better one that I think will come after. So this is why we're like taking a look at this. And and as I read, and, and so many of my thoughts come directly out of The readings and the listening I've been doing um, from a few key authors. I've mentioned John Ortberg and and reading his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. And and, uh, the the book and uh, talks by uh, John Mark Comer and Ruth Haley Barton. Some of these are just really working into my soul. And so these aren't original thoughts. These are like what I'm getting from these people. But it's changing the way I look at things. I'm loving it. Well, one of these people, John Ortberg, during one of the busiest times in his life, he was pastoring um, as a staff member in, at the time, I believe it was the largest church in America, and he was, it was just like going crazy. It was growing like crazy, and his demand, the demands on his time were so intense that he calls his spiritual mentor here on the West Coast, a guy named Dallas Willard, and he asks him, Dallas, what do I need to, the pace of my life is unbelievable, what do I need to do to truly be spiritually healthy, how do I protect my soul? What do I do? And I, he said that he, <clears throat> it was amazing. It was, Dallas had a long pause, and then he said, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then another long pause. And John's writing that down. He's like, oh man, that's really, really good. So ruthlessly, ruthlessly, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Got it. Now, what else? And another long pause. And Dallas said, there is nothing else. John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. And folks, this is kind of the theme of my talk today. We're looking at our lives in this busyness and this pace that we as Western Americans have taken... And and I just want you to think about this. Imagine that somebody gave you this prescription with the warning that your life depends on it, that you ruthlessly eliminate hurry, that your life depends on it. And you think about it because isn't it possible that the very life you dream of does depend on it? Maybe not your physical, like, life and death, but the life you dream of for yourself depends on that you get this prescription, that you learn to pace yourself in a way that actually honors the way God made you. It honors the way God is intending you to live. And it actually, because hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. Hurry destroys our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. As a psychologist that coined the whole language of introvert and extrovert, was the basis for all the Myers-Briggs, the guy called Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. John Ortberg again. He said, Again and again, as we pursue spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, it's the great danger. And the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We, just, we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Man, that one is so true. I feel sometimes like I'm just skimming life like you don't ever get deeply rooted in stuff because you're just moving too fast and it's this this concept of hurry it's at the it's the root of so many of the other social issues and personal issues in our lives chronic anger outrage anxiety suicide mental illness violence burnout exhaustion you name it they all have a built a root deeply directed directly related to hurry and the the effect of this is devastating in our hearts. One therapist, a pastor, was approached as therapist and asked him, how, "Hey, take, help me figure out how to help people become fully balanced, healthy, happy humans." I mean, look at our curriculum. Help me decide how do we do this? And he said, "Listen, John, the biggest challenge to spiritual growth in this generation is busyness. Most people catch this. Most people are just too busy to live an emotionally healthy." and spiritually rich life. That hurts. That most people, if he's right, if this therapist was right, most of us, we're just too busy to actually live life the ter- in the way that God meant it to be lived. There's even a term called hurry sickness that was coined by Meyer Friedman back in the 50s. He was a cardiologist, and he was one of the first guys to connect the dots between you know anger and tension and stress and heart disease. <clears throat> and he defined hurry sickness as this a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish and achieve more and more things and to participate in more and more events in less and less time. He identified this as a major problem for cardiac issues back in the 1950s. I and mean, here we are like, you know, <clears throat> half a century later and hurry is like an epidemic in our culture. And you can see it. You can feel it. Psychology Today picked up that whole term of hurry sickness and they defined it as that malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when, inc- when encountering any kind of delay and is that true of anybody? you're trying to do a lot more and if anything gets in your way it's kinda like ah, that is so annoying well this is an ongoing problem in our culture And that the effect of this is on our soul, on our society. It's starting to be felt throughout our culture. You see it everywhere. Because what is the... I mean, this is a common denominator with all of us. When you ask somebody, hey, how's it going? How's it been? What do they say? Good, just busy. Busy. I'm busy. How's it going? Busy. I'm good, but busy. I mean, it doesn't seem to know any age limit, social class, ethnicity, gender, everybody. I mean preschoolers, they're busy. High schoolers, they're busy. College students are busy. Married people are busy. Professionals are busy. Working middle class, busy. Empty nesters are busy. Parents are busy. Retired couples in the AV, playing golf, busy. Everybody's busy. And that's just the way we have come to believe life should be. And I need to point out that there are different types of busyness, all right? There is a busyness that you just have a lot to do, but for the most part, you're still living a full and you know complete life and you, you're making time for the things that really, really matter, and you're you're focusing on the right things. By this definition, Jesus was really busy, but he was still doing the right things. But then there's this more common busyness that we find in our culture today that Ronald Rollheiser calls pathological busyness. And this is Is that busyness where there's not only a lot to do, but there's so much to do that you can't get any of it done. And there's this constant sense that you're behind. Bill Gates was referring to this when he said, busy is the new stupid. (laughs) Maybe it's true. And the essence of psychological busyness, pathological busyness, I should say, is that we have so much to do that we speed up our lives to cram it all in. And we find that we're just always behind on something. There's always something that's falling off the plate. There's always something that we're missing. There's an appointment, a deadline, a person, a a commitment that's like, man, I just can't get it all in. Folks, this has some real implications for our health, mental, emotional, and particularly relational, not to mention spiritual. Professor Michael Zigarelli, he did a survey of 20,000 Christians in the U.S., and he identified busyness as the major roadblock in people's spiritual health and development. So if you're, in other words, in your relationship with God, if there is a relationship, if there really is a thing that you would call a relationship between you and God, this is going to be, according to the survey, one of your greatest, if not your greatest challenges, how to have a relationship with God when you're so busy. And he said, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which then leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which then leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness and overload. And the cycle begins again. In other words, the more we don't take time with God, the more we just get wrapped up in what culture is feeding us, the more we chase the carrots, from one destination to the next to the next the more we deplete our souls and we pass by one of the most important things of all which is our relationship and our soul and by the way pastors were one of the worst in his survey he he rated them r- pastors right up there with doctors and lawyers for being caught up in busyness of course not this pastor but there are other pastors in America that struggle with this <clears throat> Christian writer an author and a, a speaker, Ruth Haley Barton, came up with 10 signs that you are moving too fast. See if any of these relate. Number one, irritability. You're quick to get irritated, You're just kind of like grunt, grumpy with people. You find yourself being a little sensitive, right, a little defensive. Two, restlessness. You try to calm down, you try to sleep, you can't sleep or rest, you have to, have, you have to reach out for your phone or TV or there's got to be some stimuli going at all times, you just can't rest. I was, I was telling the first service. I think it's funny that, I mean, I am such a light sleeper. I could hear a cricket fart and it wake me up. And it's like, Look, what was that, Lori? What was that? And yet, I could literally every just about every night. I get I'm so exhausted by the time I sit down and plop down for the little few minutes of TV. That once we get a show started, I'm like, <laughs> TV's blaring, people are talking, everybody's out, and I'm out cold. But man, you get silent. I'm like, what is going on? You know, I, it's weird how we are restless. Okay, compulsive overworking. That we just can't stop answering emails or texts or being on, you know, we're busy working, working, working thing after thing. How about number 4, emotional numbness? We just have this narrow range of emotion. We're never terribly high or terribly low, we're just kind of there. I mean, we just have a very small bandwidth in our in our emotions. How about number 5, escapist behavior? We find ourselves slipping out of this mundane to places like Netflix or, or you know, some special TV show or a game or we just, we just kind of get away or social media we're always, or shopping or whatever your, your narcotic is of choice just to get out of it. How about number six, disconnection from our identity and our calling. We forget who we are and who we're not. What we're called to do and what we're not. And we just kind of fold right into the culture of the tyranny of the urgent. Do what's immediate. We're like we're like the ambulance chasers, man. There's always an emergency, always an emergency. You deal with what's right in front of you, just the crisis. And things have to be a crisis in order to, to get on your schedule because you're just too busy. Then there's number seven, not able to attend to human needs. Basic things like sleep. It's interesting. We were talking about it just yesterday, Lori, and I was like, did you realize that before the, the Thomas Edison came up with the light bulb, Americans, according to the research I read, they slept 11 hours a night because they followed the natural cycle of the world, right? So when the sun goes down, particularly in the wintertime, <clears throat> and you know you've, your fire is kind of going out and the candles are getting a little low and... Most people didn't have libraries. Most people didn't have money. They didn't have, there weren't public lending libraries back then as they are now. And so if you didn't have a big library, you didn't have magazines going around. There was no newspapers or anything. What did you do when the sun went down? Stare at each other? (laughs) Honey, you're growing a mustache. (laughs) And you're my wife. Just like, I mean, what did you do? What did you do with your time? So these people would naturally, they, they follow the rhythms of the earth and they would go to bed. And so that's where now, 11 hours back then, and you flash forward to now where the average American gets seven hours of sleep a night. So you do the math, and we are cutting ourselves out of four, some of us five hours of sleep that the Americans used to have when there was a similar, I mean, a a sane pace of life. And you realize, and you look at the anger and the the expression. Explosive culture that surrounds us and our politics and our just our rhetoric and the way we talk to one another in the way We we respond at our cash registers and how we treat people how customer service is no longer customer centric How it's just all about you know the corporate or <clears throat> the person behind the counter getting getting the, bo- the job done or whatever it, We we look at the culture we live in and we're like do you think there's any correlation to the fact that we don't rest? And the fact that we're kind of cranky and on edge how about this one? Number eight: <clears throat> eating fast food more than home-prepared meals. Don't even want to go there. Number nine: hoarding energy. Do you ever find yourself seeing somebody coming and you're like, "Oh, you where can I hide?" Going in a grocery store, you see them, they haven't seen you, and you're like ducking out. It's like, I know this. I should take the time to say hello and all that, but it's going to cost me, and I'm in a hurry, or I got this to do, and this is going to. I need to save the energy for people in my life that you know actually I care about, or whatever. Hoarding energy. No, there's number ten, slippage in our in our spiritual practices, where it's, just, it's like, I know, I know, I know, I, I need to be in church or I need to spend time with God, but man, once this project is over, or once the season, or once the soccer season, or once the football, or whatever, you just fill in the blank, and that just we just find that our love, for those things just goes down as as our time diminishes. That our to-do list gets larger and our love capacity gets smaller. So let me just ask you, how are you doing? And, and again, I didn't mean to be a, this wasn't meant to be a bummer sermon, by the way. I'm not trying to beat up on anybody to make you feel bad um, because I figured all these out and I've cleared my life of all this, so now I'm talking down to you people. <clears throat> I mean, this, this is us, you know. This really is, this is us. But unless we figure this out, unless I figure this out, unless I really put some steps in place I'm going to miss the best life. I'm, I'm just going to race through it and like, oh, man, I can't wait. And you know what I find that most American Christians are now thinking, and at least a lot of the, in the culture that I grew up in, well, that's fine. We just blow this life because we get another one forever. I just, I mean, I'm, I don't have time for this one to, to live this one well, so I'm just, I can't wait for heaven. And it's this escapist mentality that I can't wait for Jesus to return because I really screwed up this life. And I'm not prioritizing well and not particularly good at doing the things Jesus. But, you know, in heaven, we're going to get it all right. What if God was really counting on this to be the beginning of forever? The point is, there's more at stake than just our emotional health. Truth is, what I've discovered is you cannot live a hurried life and a happy life all at the same time. You cannot skim the surface and be deep all at the same time. You cannot be going 100 miles an hour and put down roots and really develop relationships and love at the same time. But when, when I'm busy, I get more and more hurried. I feel more stress. I get, you know, less sleep. I lose my joy. <clears throat> I'm less productive. And the worst, I can't hear from God. And that's a real bummer when you're trying to present to others what you heard from God and you haven't got a thing. So this is one of those things. I'm just going to say that, man. When it comes to our spiritual lives, I I want us to really just kind of dial back and, and just maybe if you were just to mentally pull out your just your daytime, your schedule, your iPhone, whatever it is you have, and just begin looking at it. What consumes the majority of your life? If it's not even on a schedule, but it is just what you do. What is it that's gobbling up? The majority of your time, and 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 would you honestly say that is my priority? That is what I'm living for. That is what I take delight in. This is what brings me life, and I feel more full, more joyful, more con- but just more complete because of these things on my schedule. Or would you say those are necessities? I just do those to get through, so I can get onto the things I love, which get about this much of my time, and the rest of it gets this. What I want to say is that <clears throat> there's a spiritual aspect of your life. That is losing ground if you allow yourself to get so busy, you can't slow down for life. And what I mean by spiritual life is your capacity to receive and give in a relationship. For there to be that give and take where people really are. Do you know, have you been around those people you just delight to be around them? I mean, are those people in your life that it's just like, you just look forward to it. And then those people, it's kind of like, eh. And then those people are like, "Uh uh-uh. Which one are you? to other people how what is it like being on the other side of you in order for us to really get into this I I just want you to think about it for a moment just in terms of your relationship first with God did you know your ability your capacity to give love is directly related to your ability and your willingness to take love to receive love and what you've taken in is what you give out of and so I've learned that hurry is incompatible with love It's like oil and water Japanese theologian, Kasuki Koyama, he wrote a book called The Three Mile-an-Hour God. And three miles an hour, if you think about it, is basically the speed at which an average human walks. Because apparently three mile-an-hour God is the God who, he goes slower. And this is what he said, God walks slowly because he's love. If he is not love, he he would have gone much faster. But love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed of which we are so accustomed. It is slow. Yes, it is lord over all other speeds since it's the speed of love. And we just think about that. There's a reason why we talk about a walk with God, not a run with God. Our relationship is, you know, how's your walk with God? Because God does not run very often. He moves at a different pace. Have you ever seen those people in the mall or like maybe at Disneyland or somewhere, there, that parent that's trying to get their kid they like the parent is just like dragging this poor little thing and their little legs just won't keep up? That's our culture. But when you look at the kingdom culture, it's God who's moving slowly and we're dragging him. We're trying like, God, you know, we're running a million miles an hour and God's just like, there's a better pace. We're, we're going to slow down now. And we see this in Jesus of Nazareth. And for today, I want to open our, you know, just the scriptures to a story where Jesus kind of exposed us to what it looks like to be a person who is so valuable, so busy, so important, and yet so available, so in the moment, so connected to his soul and to what God was doing that he could always hear the Father's voice. He never lost that in the busyness of other things. <clears throat> I, f- I find it interesting, Dallas Willard was once asked to describe Jesus in one word and after just a second he said relaxed relaxed and w- what would you say if you were asked to describe Jesus brilliant wicked smart I mean what was he? he was he was so kind he was loving he was wise he was all these things would you say relaxed? that wouldn't have come to my mind but when you follow in the steps of Jesus when you take on as we said last week as you walk in the easy yoke of our rabbi there's a pace at which life literally begins to harmonize with the world around it he was so present to God he was so present in the moment think about how many of the stories in the gospel where Jesus just breaks out in a teaching was a result of an interruption it was just a response to somebody's question or a situation that came up he was there he was living it right then he had emotional energy He had mental energy He had focus enough to deal with what was coming and to really respond well I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, how you respond to an interruption is who you really are. I'm like, ouch. As a parent, think about it. That, it just got real. I mean, in those unguarded moments when your children are like, dad, mom, dad, dad, mom. And you're just, there's so much demanded that you don't have time to craft a response to some things. That just your daily life, your interaction with your kids, your, your spouse, or your best friend's. Well, how you respond to the unexpected, unanticipated interruptions, that's who you really are. Jesus responded with compassion and wisdom, presence, love. <clears throat> and he calls his apprentices, he calls his followers to walk this way. Luke 10, 25 is the story. Pick it up in verse, yeah, 25. One, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. All right, so Jesus is already going about his day, and this is an interruption. <clears throat> this is unscheduled. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in the West, we read this as, hey, what do I have to do to get into heaven when I die, right? That's the Western mindset. Now, first century Jewish person, they were seeing it from a different lens. For them, it wasn't about what happens when I go somewhere else. He would have been asking, when the kingdom of God arrives right here on earth, in Israel, in Jerusalem, when God sets up his throne, when the reign of God begins, what do I need to do to be a part of the, the work and the activity? When God punishes the wicked and he, you know, he raises up the poor and the humble and blesses those who are righteous, and what do I have to do to participate, to be in a good place and good standing for that life there? Jesus responds, what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? So he's asking... <clears throat> The guy is asking, hey, Jesus, what's your interpretation of Torah, right? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? What do you think? And the guy goes, well, love God. He just quotes right from Deuteronomy 6, which was known as the Shema, which is basically the central prayer of the Hebrew Bible in life. It's like, well, love God with your heart, with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, <clears throat> right? And then he even adds... He tosses in another one from Leviticus chapter 19 to just kind of like, and put the icing on the cake. Oh, and Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Not only do we love God, but we love our neighbor. If that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus answered the question, uh, that same question that same way earlier <clears throat> in his story. And Jesus answered 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Yet yeah, do this, Walk this out, loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, and you will experience life in the kingdom. Now, interesting that he mentions live not as you will one day begin to live when you get to heaven. They didn't even think in those terms. He's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven has already come. Jesus is exposing him to this reality that the kingdom of heaven came with me, it came with Jesus, and it's now available to anybody. Anybody? And to enter into it, you step into the life God offers. I mean, when you, the minute you receive Jesus and open your heart and experience that time where it's just like, God, I, I come to life on your terms. Surrender all that I am, confess all of my sins, and I, just, I adopt now your way of looking at life and your way of living the life you've given me. That's what it means to, to become a follower. He's like, when you do that, life begins then. You don't wait for heaven for eternal life to begin. Life forever begins right now. And he's like, this is what you do. And if you do this, you'll, be, you'll enter into that life God intended, that life that goes on forever. So Jesus is saying, listen, <clears throat> it starts now, and it starts with a decision. Come and live this way. Come and orient your life around love, around loving God and loving neighbor. Come reorient your life around this, and you will experience the fullness of life. But then it the goes on. Sorry, it not in there. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So the guy's like, hey, listen, Jesus kind of made me look bad because he, he told me what's obvious, and so I want to look good. Have you ever had one of those moments where somebody kind of calls you out on something? You're a little awkward and a little embarrassed, so you kind of defend yourself? <clears throat> you kinda, you kinda, yeah, your little mechanism comes up, and, and you, you want to feel good? You want to justify yourself? This is him. So, so he asks Jesus, okay, okay, then who's my neighbor? Never ask Jesus an you know, open-ended question. Never try to trap Jesus. So Jesus, and I think this is one of the most famous teachings we know, and it's interesting, it just comes out of a reply, an off-the-cuff you know, response to an interruption. Here's the story. <clears throat> Jesus responds, he says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and, w- and went away, leaving him half dead. <clears throat> a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, too. So, but a Samaritan, <clears throat> when he traveled, he came where the man was. And he, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Also translated compassion or mercy. He had mercy. So he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring, and, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to, the, to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. A denarii basically is a day's wage. So just picture whatever you make in a day. He took out two days' worth of his life, his wage, and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you any extra expense you may have <clears throat> verse 36 which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers the expert in the law replied well the one who had mercy on him now there's so much just woven right into that statement did you notice Jesus said there was a Samaritan who did this really wonderful thing well you need to understand in the culture that Jesus was growing in the first century Jerusalem kind of in the Jewish culture Samaritans were the enemies I mean there was like this long history of violence and so this guy didn't even want to identify the guy as the good guy so he doesn't even say oh the Samaritan of course he says well whoever did the whoever had mercy he didn't want to call out the fact that this guy who was supposed to be the enemy could have been the good guy so Jesus said well then go and do likewise now just to break that down real quick this is, an inf- this is an infamous, like, trail. This passageway from Jerusalem to Jericho was like this kind of steep climb with rocks and all of these places where somebody could hide. And, and bandits tended to be there to just take advantage of people traveling to, you know, to Jericho. Now, the Samaritans and Jews, again, had a horrible history of violence and aggression, <clears throat> deep racial strife. And so this guy, this guy, the Samaritan, if a Jewish person is telling a story in this century, they would not be the good guy. They would have been the bad guy, the one everybody, like, ooh, the bad guy. So this is also like a very interesting story that you and I read, and we've heard it so many times, we just kind of gloss over it, like, yeah, you know, that was the good guy. What if we really understood it like they did? This is a subversive story. This is like a culture-shaking story. This is a story about racism, this is a story about injustice. This is a story that it's like <clears throat> would have shaken them. It, it, would, have, it would have been you know, about violence and nonviolence. Jesus is making the enemy the hero. I mean, you read that, at the good, you you think you hear the good Samaritan, you think, yeah, that's nice. But it would be like a first century Jew. I mean, it would be to us like somebody saying, oh, yeah, the good white supremacist that, or the good Taliban fighter. You know, the story about that. It, we don't really have a category for this, the level of hatred he would have had. So it's easy to, to just kind of package that up as like, oh, that's a nice story. No, this is a this is a very compelling story. It's a very subversive story. <clears throat> Jesus is making a point. And it's also to blast the priests and Levites thinking, oh man, religious people are the worst. I hate religious. Look at him walking on the other side of the road. And pastor is the worst of all. And it some of it's true. But you've got to realize that this is a story with so much complexity. So to understand. The way it worked in those times, priests and Levites were people who basically made their living by serving in the temple. And so, what they would do is they would travel from Jericho probably to the temple, and that was the way they got there, was this pathway. They were very Torah observant. In other words, to honor God, they knew what it taught in Leviticus. So, they read that, and like it said, where it's very clear about touching unclean things. One of the unclean things is a dead body. And if you touch an unclean thing, you become unclean. And so this person would literally have had to take time off work because they can't be a spiritual leader and be unclean. They have to go through the ritual of becoming clean, which took several days, so they'd be unemployed. Another factor is... These people made their living, like pastors still today, by the gifts or the tithes, one-tenth of what people made in their, and it wasn't cash typically in those days because people didn't really have the coins and that sort of thing. So they paid that in their crops. So it was like vegetables, it was all the fruit, it was all the, the produce of their lives, and livestock. Those things were brought to the temple, and that's the way God set it up, that the priests would live off that. They got a portion of that, and that's their living. So picture this priest or this Levite Packing the food that they were about to feed their family. They had just served their two weeks because they were two-week kind of rotation sort of thing. So they got their two, they, they packed their food, they, they're on their way home to honor their family, and then they come across a dead body. Now, you don't know if it's dead because if you're not sure, you're looking and you're like, man, how would I know unless I get down close? If I get down close, if I touch the person and they're dead, oh man, not only am I unclean, but now my food and everything with me is unclean, so my family misses out. If he isn't, then, then I have a responsibility. <clears throat> so anyway, you think about this. It's, it's going through their mind, probably. The busy trail. A lot of people walk down this road. Surely somebody else will come who doesn't lose so much, who doesn't have so much to risk by touching this person. And so they just pass by on the other side. <clears throat> and some of you might think immediately, what a horrible person. What a human being. Or is it, you know, who could do that? Stop and help them, for heaven's sakes. But how many of us have driven on our way to church, on a Sunday morning, on our way home, and seen that person that's like, in need? Maybe a car that's broken down, or somebody that's pushing the car through an intersection, or somebody that's you know, walking in, a rain, in the rain, the pouring rain, or somebody that's maybe needing something, and we're just like, ah, yeah, you know, I don't really have time. I'm on my way to church. I'm in a big hurry, and I can't, you know, I, I can't sacrifice what it takes right now. Well, this is an interesting This is true of all of us. I mean, how many times have I driven by and and my thought is, oh man, I really need to stop and help this person, a lot of times I will, but then when I'm in a hurry to get to an appointment or something, I'm like, wait, there's gotta be a person out there that's retired, somebody who's gonna come by, I mean, this is a busy road, everybody, Enel Valley, hundreds of people will be passing by in the next hour, so surely somebody with more time is gonna help them. And I'm thinking, this is one of those things, and again, we can't meet every need, we can't fix every problem, we can't address every concern out there, But it's easy to judge, and Jesus is saying there's a way of living our lives that's not skimming. It's slowing down and and accepting the fact that life is lived right now in the moment. This is the life that you have. You don't have tomorrow. You can't go back to yesterday. You have this moment. So, with all your hurry, all your busyness, all your schedules, and all the things you've got to do, do you have a moment to love? Do you have time to stop and just connect with whatever's going on around you, the people primarily, the relationships, hurry, sabotages our capacity to live in love. It's incompatible with love. And I just want to give you a couple things to take home today. So as we practice this, as we look at the story, as we look at who we might be in Jesus' illustration... The first thing I want you to practice this week is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Again, you you don't have to go out and seek out every problem in the world to correct. But watch for the ones that God intentionally just seems to drop in your path. The one that you have to make a conscious decision to go the other, to the other side of the road for. And, and it may be a phone call, it may be a text, maybe a contact, it may be somebody you see. It may be something that you're just like, you've been avoiding, but you know God's just like, hey, to live in love, to live at the pace, I'm calling to walk as an apprentice of mine. This is it. This is what it means. Do this thing, this moment. Live. Pay attention. Pay attention to the speed at which you're moving right now, to to the pace of your life, to the way you feel when you get someplace. Pay attention to right where you're at in relationship with others. Pay attention to your soul. Maybe go back to the list, Ruth Haley Barton's list, and think about, man, where am I just depleted and losing energy? Pay attention. Next one, practice slowing. John Ortberg called this practice slowing, where you literally, like, put yourself in moments where you can't rush through it. And if you're like me, if you're one of the persons that pulls up to a stoplight, and as you're approaching, you're looking at which is the shortest, which has the fewest cars, and which one looks like they're going to really take off and go you know, get this thing done, and which ones are going to sit there and look at their phone for a while. So get in that line. You know, at the grocery store, if you ever look at all the things that you're going to the, to the line, and you're like, oh, man, as you're coming up, you're looking at who's got the most stuff in their basket, which person at the counter is talking to them, you know, just taking time and gabbing all day, where is the quickest line? If you're the person who just is in a hurry, practice slowing. I've been doing this. I've been trying to drive the speed limit. It's driving me crazy. (laughs) But I'm like, oh man. Um, Yeah, if I don't don't do something to really practice this, I'm not going to get any better at it. So I've been putting myself in situations where I'm like, I take whatever lane I'm in, and if it's the long one, then I sit in it. I just go with it, I just go with whatever's in front of me, and I, I, I stop trying to just force life into the fast lane. and And in those moments, I look for opportunity now, and just like, okay, what what does it mean to be here in this moment? Which brings me to my third thing, my third thing, is, and final thing is, just be fully present. Just live this moment. Quit living the next one or the one behind. Live this moment. Who's in front of me? Who's here? What is God saying? What does it mean to, to walk in the easy yoke of Jesus in relationship right now? How do I cultivate those opportunities that are right before me? I find myself heartbroken that sometimes I'm missing some of the best moments in my grandson's life because I'm always running and ju- just chasing that next thing. I'm doing that with sometimes with my own life and with my spiritual life. What are you missing? And this morning, I, I just, I just want to take a moment just for us to take a breath and just be fully present right here. Would you just join me with maybe closing your eyes and just giving a moment of reflection? Just as you, as you close your eyes, just become aware for a moment of your, of your own life. Where's your mind? Is it racing to the next thing? Is it somewhere else, on something else? How's your heart? Is it attuned to maybe... The fact that God has brought you here for a very intentional purpose that you, you might be hearing something from him that could really change your life today. Where's your relationships? Are the people that are around you right here, right now in this room, the people that really you value, they're, they're important to you, do they know it? Are you living your best life relationally? Now just, just join me in taking it. Take a deep breath and just hold it for a second. Just kind of breathe in. And as you breathe in, now breathe out. Ah, slow. As you breathe in, it's called the, you know, the, the breath prayer where you breathe in and you just take in all that stuff that's tension and all that stuff that's going on. You're like, ah, oh, man, that's all stuff. And then you just let it go and you give it to God. Whereas you take in a fresh, deep breath. You're just saying, okay, God, all that stuff that's building tension and frustration and gathering, you know, steam for a less effective life I just ah, as I breathe it out I just give it to you I want to wake up to the moment that I'm in I just want to live in this present space and I and want to acknowledge and see what you're doing I want to join you in this incredible work you're doing in the world the kingdom of heaven has come and it's partly here now I know it's coming later too when you arrive on the earth but if it's launched now and I get to participate in it now I don't want to miss it so I just tune in and folks, as we do this, for some of you, it's like this is the best day. It's just like, man, I'm just gonna live this day fully. For some of you, it's like you're so stressed right now. This is this is freaking you out. And it's like, God, let's just give it to Him. God, we give you all our fears, our frustrations, that the FOMO that we, we just feel like we're racing through life because there's something we might miss. And God, we just slow down. Breathe in the good life and the good air that you've given. And we just we just acknowledge that our life is at a crazy pace. We want to experience. Our best life so we submit to the to the pace of jesus and we invite you to lead us this week that we'd be conscious of the the way that you're working and the people that you're sending and the opportunities you present give you thanks and praise lord god and we just look forward the moments that we get to spend as we ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives pray this in jesus name amen Folks, stand with me. We're going to worship. We'll give one last song before we head out. Let's uh, come back next week. We'll continue. Let's worship together.